Our scripture passage is going to be uh, John 21. Uh, it's on a Pew Bible, uh, page 907, if you want to read along, or it'll be on the screen. The main text we'll be discussing will be starting in verse 9, but I want to read starting in verse 1 because it kind of gives you the background. So here's John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, <clears throat> but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so as we peer into the new year, I just want to put a thought uh, before you. That what if, what if the failure of our past doesn't have to haunt us and enslave us? And what if the thought of failure in the future doesn't have to paralyze us? Like, wouldn't that be good news? Wouldn't that be worth kind of, kind of listening and celebrating? And I think it would kind of free you. Uh, there was a uh, podcast I used to listen to. I think I've told this before, but... Um, it's called StoryCorps, and they, used to, they would just get two people interviewing that had a past that connected. And this was about Jeff and Tammy. And what was really interesting is, is in 1984, early in the morning, Jeff was driving to high school, and the sun was, was kind of coming onto his car in a way that he couldn't see very well. And at the last minute, he sees someone, slams on the brake, actually hits her. It's Tammy. She flips over the car, is on the ground. He gets out. She's unconscious. He goes white, assuming that he has killed her. Thankfully, uh, that has not happened. Uh, she ends up in the hospital for a few weeks, gets out a few weeks later, ends up fine. But what happens is she was a senior. Jeff was like in 11th grade. He just, he feels guilty. He feels awful. 
And so whenever he sees Tammy at school, they didn't really notice that he just kind of avoids her. You know, uh, uh, that, how kind of shame can kind of, kind of separate you. And then they both finish school, go off to various colleges, and never really see each other. But Jeff always just kind of had this weight of guilt because of what, what had happened. And then 20 years later, he receives this email from Tammy. And he says when he gets it, he goes cold. And he opens the email, and here's what it says. It says, Dear Jeff, you may have been the first person to hit me with your car, but you weren't the last. And she goes on to explain that she's become a stunt woman in Hollywood. And what she's most known for is tricks and stunts with car hits. And she said whenever people ask her how she got into kind of becoming a stunt woman, she explains how in high school a guy named Jeff hit her with a car. And Jeff, so they're talking about it on this podcast, and Jeff starts talking about how this just weight gets lifted off his shoulders. And they're laughing, and, and he, he, he tells Tammy, he says, this is unbelievable. You made something good of it. And you could just feel the freedom, because a thing in Jeff's life that was a mistake, something that he wished that he could take back, a failure, in the end, it actually made something beautiful. And I, just, I start with that because anytime you hear a story of kind of failure and regret ending in restoration and, and kind of beauty, I think it draws us in. And I would suggest it's because it's, it's what we're made for. Because all of us, all of us have places of kind of shame and regret in our lives. Those nights that we try to forget, the relationships that we've ruined, things that we could take back if we really could and do it over. And those, those places haunt us. I think, I think they feel too shameful for us, and if, and if you believe that Jesus is real, you certainly think they're too shameful for him. And so, look, I just want to dive into this. I think six years ago, I think I preached on this text. What's great is nobody remembers what a preacher said like three weeks ago, so you're not going to remember this. I don't either. But we also talked about it in men's Bible study uh, last year, but it's just become one of my favorite texts because it meets us in our failure. And Les dipped his... Uh, 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 toe into this theme in Matthew when uh, Peter rebukes Jesus and, and you start seeing his failure. So I just want us to consider our failures in a new year before Jesus and see if Jesus really is better than we think. And so just two big simple points. Okay, first, Jesus' response to our failures. Second, Jesus' work through our failure. So Jesus' response and then Jesus' work through it. And my friend and fellow pastor, Matt Howell, extremely helpful. I heard him preach a sermon on this. Uh, is very helpful for this. So first, Jesus' response to our failure. Okay, the first thing we got to do to understand this text and where it's coming from is we got to rewind the clock chronologically about two weeks before this event, okay? So about two weeks before this event, Jesus gets arrested, and he's eventually going to be crucified. And Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends. And Jesus is telling his disciples the night he's going to be arrested that they are all going to abandon him. They're all going to forsake him. And Peter says, whoa, maybe all these other guys will, will, will deny you, but not me. I'm your best friend. I'll stick with you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And as the night progresses, Jesus is arrested, he's falsely accused, he's beaten, he's tortured. And sure enough, like Jesus said, all the disciples scattered. But John and Peter, I guess to, to Peter's credit, they actually, they follow close behind. And they get to a place where they can at least observe Jesus' trial. And Peter is outside of the high priest's house where the trial is happening. And he's warming himself by a charcoal fire. That detail is going to come back up, okay? 
and three different people ask him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Aren't you, aren't you one of his friends? And emphatically, Peter, one time even calling down curses on himself, says, I don't even know the man. And then the rooster crows after the third time. And Peter breaks. He runs away weeping in guilt and in shame. Because this is what I want you to think about. Peter became the person that he never imagined himself he could be. Peter, who saw himself as being the strong one, the passionate one, became Peter the coward, Peter the failure, the one who was ashamed to be associated with Jesus. And so then what happens, right? Jesus crucified. Three days later, he's resurrected. His body comes out of the tomb. And then verse 14, it reminds us that Jesus has appeared to the disciples twice already. But there's something he hasn't dealt with yet. The big elephant in the room, I would suggest, is Peter's denial. And they haven't talked about it. And so Jesus appears a third time. And in verse 14, Jesus singles out Peter. And he basically says, okay, it's time to talk. It's time to talk about your big failure. Now, I want you to consider this. Really consider this. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. If I told you that Jesus wanted to talk to you about your biggest failure, about your biggest place of regret, about those things that we wish that we really haven't done, what would your reaction be? Like, what would you think Jesus' attitude would be? I can tell you what my, my, my thought is. My thought is the same feeling I had when, as a kid, it got so bad at the house because of things that I were doing that mom would finally look at me and say, we're just going to have to wait for dad to get home on this one. And that wait was excruciating because <laughs> I knew when my dad showed up, this was, it, it, you know, it was going to be tough. But what does Jesus do? It's actually really piercing. Jesus, this is what I want to suggest, he recreates the scene of Peter's failure with, with three things that I think become pretty obvious. First of all, what time of day is it? Verse 4 told us it's the crack of dawn. It's right at sunrise. What time of day was Peter's failure when he denied Jesus? Right before the rooster crows, right? Crack of dawn, same time. Secondly, the text tells us there's a charcoal fire, not a wood fire. A charcoal fire has a very distinct smell. You know this. And, and the only other time in the Gospel of John that you read about a charcoal fire, it's when Peter is outside of the high priest's uh, home warming himself with a charcoal fire. And there's Jesus standing by charcoal fire. Peter smells it. You know his memory's tr- triggered. He's remembering the scene of, 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 of his denial. And then lastly, you have this conversation where Jesus asked Peter a question. Simon, do you love me more than these? In other words, Peter, you claim to love me the most. Do you really? Are you still confident that you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that. And the second time he asks. And then the third time that Jesus asks, he breaks. He starts weeping. Why? Because three times Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus. And so three times Jesus asked him, do you really love me? Same time of day, charcoal fire, three times. It's touching, it's touching all of Peter's senses, his seeing, his hearing, his smelling. All of it is bringing back the, the, the scene of his failure. And Peter bursts into weeping as he's forced to remember what I would assume he's either tried to forget or he's hoping Jesus has forgotten. And so what is Jesus doing here? 
He is not shaming him. He is not humiliating him. It's not some kind of like torture. Those are, those are Satan's tools. Those aren't Jesus' tools. He's actually gently restoring Peter. It's like Jesus is telling Peter, look, the way forward, Peter, is not to hide. It's not to deny and forget about what you've done. That won't work. The way forward is actually to face your failure, to look at your sin, to remember it, to embrace it, to be honest, and then overlay it with the memory of Jesus having breakfast with you, applying his grace and forgiveness because what he's done for you on the cross. He's saying, I want to have breakfast with you. It's an amazing invitation. So Jesus makes Peter remember the thing that he's tried to forget so that Peter will believe what we really struggle to believe, that Jesus loves failures. I think Peter believed the way forward, he thought the way forward was to kind of ignore or minimize what he had done and try to forget about it. Because Peter thought that Jesus loved Peter the passionate, Peter the good one, Peter the brave one. And Jesus needed Peter to know that Jesus loved Peter the coward, Peter the failure, Peter the sinful. Because that's who Peter is. And he's, he's making him sit in that. This is how it works. There's a uh, former pastor, his name's Nate Larkin. Uh, he's written some books. He's now a uh, speaker and an author. Um, and he tells it this way. He talks about how when he was a pastor, uh, jokingly, but kind of not jokingly, he was known as Saint Nate. <laughs> That's kind of the like impression he gave people. He loved people so well. He took care of people. He had this great family. Life was working, had it all together, right? Here comes Saint Nate. Nate, it's going to be okay. Well, what began to happen is behind the scenes that nobody knew, this life began to spiral out of control with addictions, involvement with actual, actually commercial sex, and nobody knew. And he had this double life that, that carried on for years. He eventually leaves ministry still without being honest about why. And he says this. He says the healing began, of course, when he brought that life out of darkness to his wife and to, to trusted friends. But he says really the inner healing began when he realized this. He said, Jesus did not live and die for St. Nate. He says, because that person wasn't real. He said, Jesus lived and died for Nate, the one who was involved in commercial sex, the one, who was, the one who was in over his head in addictions, the one who had broken vows. That's the one that Jesus died for. He said, that's when the healing began. And see, this is what we all have to do. We all, I would suggest, have created this version of this ideal self this ideal brine sorghum fryer, whatever it is. And as we think into the future and we imagine 2024, and we should, this is great, we start making goals of how I can become that ideal person. How I won't fail at these things, how I'll succeed, how I'll read my Bible more, how I'll pray more, how I'll be a better husband or a better parent and how I'll, I'll serve people and be more generous. Please hear me, all that is really good. We should strive for all those things. But amidst that, what I'm asking is you've got to hold in tension this fact, that what we begin to do is we think other people in Jesus love the ideal brine that I've imagined myself to be. And the freedom and the joy will not come from that. It'll only come when you realize Jesus doesn't love the ideal brine. He loves the real brine. The one that doesn't read his Bible as much as he, he tells people that he does. 
the one that does blow it sometimes with these kids. That's the one that Jesus died for because the ideal Brian doesn't exist. It's this one. And see, what Jesus is doing with Peter is what's necessary for all of us. He's making Peter receive and rest in the reality of grace because it's our only hope. And so this is actually necessary for us all. It's just we have to take the posture of humility. We have to go back to those things that we're convinced keep us from Jesus. And we have to bring those things to Jesus in repentance and faith. And there you will find that our failures, whatever they are, uh, the abortion we had, uh, the the regrets you have with parenting, the, the, the struggles you've been embarrassed to tell people about, the things we try to forget, when we bring them to Jesus... You'll actually see Jesus wants them. That he went to the cross specifically for those failures and paid the cost in full so he can have breakfast with us. He forgives us and he overlays it with grace. His death for you, his resurrection, his smile for you. And believe that he loves the real you. And so yes, Jesus is telling Peter, yes, let's talk about your sin, Peter. But let's talk about it in front of a Savior who's wanting to have breakfast with you, who's fellowshipping with you. And so that is remarkably Jesus' response to our failures. When we come to him in faith and repentance, we find he loved and died for the real us. And through our failures, past, present, and the ones that are coming in the future, the more it is through those things we embrace more the unmerited love of Jesus. It's amazing. But there's actually more, because the second thing he does, Jesus worked through our failures. I want you to consider the irony of what Jesus keeps telling Peter. Right? This is this whole conversation that happens from verse 15 to 19. Right? He keeps telling, he says, Peter, do you love me? He makes him face his failure. He makes Peter consider his inadequate love for Jesus. And every time he says yes, then he says, okay, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. In other words, as he makes Peter face his failure, he then turns around and says, okay, Peter, then go love my people. Uh, Go take care of people. Go do ministry, Peter. The conversation is kind of like this. Peter, remember how you blew it? Remember how you failed? Peter's like, yes, I'm a failure. And Jesus says, great. Now you're in charge. Now now you're the one that's going to go do ministry. Go love people. Peter, you failed. So I want you to be in charge of ministry. Do you realize how crazy that sounds? I mean, that would be like if you were, uh, you know, in a business and you were in sales. <laughs> and the boss looks at the monthly sales report and is like, well, this was the worst month of sales I've ever seen from anybody. This is horrible. So I guess you're in charge of the sales department now. You'd be like, that, that's nuts. <laughs> That makes no sense. And of course it seems crazy because actually, actually the, the way the world works and the logic of every other religion, go check it out, and every other organization in the world is this. Believe enough, be devoted enough, do enough good things, serve enough, make the fewest amount of mistakes, and you will rise in that organization or religion or whatever it is. But with Jesus, apparently everything gets flipped upside down. It is your failure that somehow qualifies you for ministry. It is our recognition of our sin, of our unworthiness. That's the very thing that Jesus works through to propel you into loving people well. Jesus doesn't, this is what's crazy, Jesus doesn't work through our lives despite our failure and weakness. 
He works through our lives because of our failure and weakness. It's amazing. Just, okay, just imagine, I realize we're getting right, imagine, whatever. Just imagine if Peter had not failed Jesus big time. Peter's sitting by the fire that night, and that, that girl says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? He says, yes, I am. I'm never leaving him. And may, maybe he gets tortured a little bit. Okay, what if that happened, and he never had to face his own heart? What would Peter's ministry have been like if he never tasted the bitterness and shame of his own failure? Well, then as he began to try to lead people to Jesus, do you know what it sounded like? He'd have been like, I did it. I stood strong for Jesus. I know Jesus helped me, but, but y'all need Jesus. <laughs> y'all are a bunch of cowards. I don't need him, but y'all do. And, and honestly, maybe some of you find yourself here this morning, and that's why you're annoyed at Christians. Uh, because you've either experienced the hypocrisy of a Christian who's arrogant, and that should be hypocritical. I'm sorry if you experienced that from me. Are self-sufficient and full of themselves, lobbing advice at you but not caring about who you are because it feels like they're better than you. That, it should be irritating. Because if you know Jesus through the experiences of your own failure, which is the only way to know him, then what we give people is the hope of grace. There's actually a sense of, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. We are in together, we're together <laughs> failures. I know the emptiness of sin too, not just like years ago. I know the emptiness of sin last week. And I'm telling you, Jesus is a savior of sinners. Jesus works through our failures to love other people well. He works through the things that we wish that we haven't done to show the beauty of Christ. All right, look, this is a true story. I can't remember if I told this one. It's from another pastor. I would not believe it if he hadn't told me it's true. Okay, but this is true. All right, we'll call him Nick and Evan, okay? And uh, Nick had come to know Jesus out of a pretty uh, rough lifestyle in his past. And uh, he had a friend named Evan who was still in that lifestyle. And so they kept up a friendship, uh, as you should. And uh, Nick just, he just kept wanting Evan to know the freedom of Jesus, and he just kept trying to share the gospel with him, and it just was going nowhere. And Nick was getting frustrated. And they were hanging out late one night, and, um, and they were both tired, and Nick was frustrated. And, uh, and Evan um, had some weed and rolled a joint and was smoking. And, and Nick, just in a, in a moment of weakness, okay, uh, said, you know, said, here, hand me some of that weed. And he rolls a joint, and he starts smoking it. And Nick's mouth is wide open. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Evans, and goes, you weren't lying about your past. You, you know what you're doing. And then Nick was able to share the gospel with Evan because he realized his past really was similar to this guy. Now listen, he shouldn't have done that. That's not a way of evangelism that we promote at Christ Press. Okay, all that kind of stuff, okay? But I am telling you that through Nick's mistake... <laughs> Through his lapse of weakness, God worked through it to reach his friend Evan and to realize, wait a second, <laughs> you are just like me. And Jesus saved you. I want to hear. This is who Jesus is. Our failures, though they are not good, though they're not wanted and we shouldn't want them, they are the very thing that Jesus works through first to bring us to himself that we understand how gracious he is, how forgiving he really is. And just how unstopping his love is for us. 
And secondly, he takes our failures, as he overlays them with forgiveness and grace, he actually works through them to make us humble and to boldly love people well. So we're part of the ministry that he's doing of renewing the whole world and calling people to see how great Jesus is. Whoa, sorry. And look, I realize, like, I don't know, maybe that joint story made some of you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. If that sounds crazy to you, like, that's nothing. Compared to the fact that, think about this, you're sitting at Christ's prayers right now, 2,000 years after Peter's failure. And do you know what's happening? Some of you right now, not in spite of, but because of Peter's failure, right now, you're, you're being encouraged to keep following Jesus. Some of you might be considering to trust Jesus for the first time with your failure. Why? Because of Peter's failure. And Jesus worked through it over centuries and thousands of years. What a Savior. Like even this morning, Jesus is showing you the power of his spirit of what he does through failure in a twisted and broken world. And don't you sense it? If that's true, even if it's true, you might feel this just for a few milliseconds. But that makes you want to say, okay, I'll follow him. I would follow that kind of Savior if he's that good. Right? And it's so good that it transformed Peter so much that into Peter's life, Scripture hints at this, right? Verse 18 and 19, church history tells us that Peter, instead of denying Jesus to save himself, will be crucified upside down, identifying with Jesus in his suffering and death. It really changed him. It really did. And so John 21, and actually the whole gospel, is holding out this Jesus for us. All the failures all the shame, even the stuff that's coming in the future. Some stuff's going to be great, and some stuff there's going to be regrets. All those things that make us feel dirty and worthless, we think that stuff pushes Jesus away. And I'm telling you to start 2024 seeing that Jesus is the crucified and risen king saying, it doesn't. I know the real you. I already know those failures. It's why I came And it's the you that I died for. It's the you that I was resurrected for. And it's the you that I'm living inside and I'm coming back for. He's the one who takes the shame of failures, our own places of charcoal fire, and by his power makes them a place of feasting and joy. And my question is, is that happening to you this morning? Are you beginning to see that because of our sin and failure, not in spite of it, Jesus is actually all the more beautiful and glorious? That Jesus is so good and so merciful that through our failure, we meet the Jesus as he really is. And then he works through that to love other people well. I think that might be what led John. We didn't read this. He ends John by saying, there's so many other things that Jesus did that we didn't even record. If we did, there's not enough books in the whole world that contain what Jesus has done. That's how John ends. It's awesome. It's as if if John is saying, I cannot get over the mercy and grace of Jesus, and he's inviting you and I in. Will you do it? Will you bring your failures and regrets for the first time or a thousandth time to Jesus and find that he really is good? And so that's my invitation in 2024, be caught up with Jesus and be amazed at his mercy and love. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for, um, thank you for sending Jesus. Yes, born in a manger, uh, born, uh, outside in the darkness and the cold uh, because that's who we are. Uh, 
Uh, we deserve to be outside in the cold apart from you, yet you took our place. And I pray that you'd help us to believe what you convinced uh, Peter to believe, that you came for us, that you came for failures, and that your grace is more powerful than anything we can hold up to it. And so I pray that you'd transform us uh, by the work of Jesus, by your Spirit, and help us to leave uh, those, uh, those who are just amazed at your grace and pointing others to that. In your son's name I pray. Amen.